What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is time for another episode, a brand new episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I am Andrew for America. And how we doing, people? It's been a little while since I put out a show. It's the holiday season. Uh, Everybody's a little busy. I'm definitely a little bit extra busy right now. Lots going on. And you guys hear about Juicy Smollett? (laughs) Juicy Smollett? (laughs) Oh, man. Everybody knew that his story was full of shit, bullshit, and now he's going to probably serve some time, maybe? I don't know. He might be be able to buy his way out of uh, a prison sentence. I mean, I don't know. I guess he's being sued now by the police department. Uh, The Chicago PD, not too happy with him staging uh, anti-black, uh, anti-gay uh, beating that never occurred. Uh, if you guys haven't listened to Dave Chappelle's bit where he literally calls out <laughs> the story, be, uh, you know, because of its ridiculous absurdity, I highly recommend you go listen. Dave Chappelle, one of the best, greatest ever in the stand-up comedy game, unapologetic, grew up in an era that you didn't have to coddle the little crybaby fragile minds. You know, that's how, that's how you, people, that's how you know how good we have it here in the United States, is that when people need to invent things to be outraged about, because they have it so fucking good, it's just gross, it's gross to me. Go do something productive with your time. Stop trying to orchestrate bullshit narratives and storylines and getting people to believe this crap in order to further your bullshit agendas. It's just, it's immature, it's naive, it's ridiculous. It's transparent. People can see right through it. Well, some of us can, maybe not all of us. And speaking of transparent bullshit that we should be able to see through, I'm going to talk about the religious right today. But before I get to all of that... So I recently received some of the most constructive feedback ever uh, about my podcast. And I was so impressed with this person's criticism of my show that I decided to talk about it. And I feel appreciative. I feel humbled. I feel like we all are victims of uh, certainty, feeling like we are certain about something, feeling that we are so right about something. I criticize people on the left quite a bit about that very thing, and uh, apparently I don't criticize enough uh, people of the right, and that's part of the criticism that I'm about to run by you. Um, So... It doesn't really matter what side of the aisle you are on. If you're a decent, honest uh, person with good intentions and you're just trying to make decisions with the best intentions of the whole in mind, right? Um, Sometimes, you know, we all need to get checked, right? Sometimes we all need uh, somebody with a little bit more knowledge on a topic, maybe a little bit more insight on a topic to kind of be like, hey, you know what? I mean, 
you're right to have done this and that and this and that, but you probably should focus a little bit more on, you know, this, that, and the other thing, right? So, anyway, uh, I was chatting with a gentleman about uh, his criticism, his criticism of my show, and I want to read what he wrote. Uh, this little chain. Here we go. I think it is perfectly useful to criticize the work of Karl Marx as you did in one of your podcasts. Most neo-Marxists have struggled to apply his ideas to the contemporary situation, uh, such as post-industrial revolution, information age, etc. Not many have been successful, though some have, like Adorno in terms of culture and Debord in terms of technology, television, and imagery. I'd highly recommend Debord's Society of the Spectacle, and if you can't see the connections to our world of social media and his effective use of dialectical reasoning via Marx and Hegel, then we are living in two different, totally different realities. I think many misunderstand the bodies of work of Marx because they flatly haven't read anything but the Communist Manifesto. I think of Marx in two big buckets, his economic theory and his politics. The three-volume Das Kapital is really what I find the most compelling, as he does a painfully detailed review of how capitalism is predicated on, here we go, siphoning off value from the lower classes and stockpiling it at the top. I want to just pause right there and reflect quickly that we could talk about that very question and debate that very question uh, and statement uh, for hours. He goes on, we are pretty much seeing that play out now with the level of wealth inequality globally. Does that mean that he is wrong about his systematic economic analysis because of how communism proliferated across the Soviet Union and China? Not in my opinion. Can we critique capitalism as the uh, ca capitalisms as they occur today with offshore money laundering, uh, Wall Street uh, executive slush funds, and the like, and not want an authoritarian an authoritarian dictatorship of the state? Geez, I hope so. A second component I'd point to is that you might want to read up on some of the stuff that the Chicago and Berkeley schools of uh, economics did around the world with Milton Friedman at the helm. Guess who was called in to the leaders of the Communist Party when they decided to open up a market economy? Milton Friedman. He taught them how to shift from party leaders owning everything to the new uh, princelings owning everything in capitalist form. I'd also recommend Naomi Klein's shock doctrine for a primer on how Chile, Indonesia, and China were restructured under very right-wing libertarian ideals, and it created chaos in the lives of so many disadvantaged people. That definitely caught my interest, because... Um, Chile, Indonesia, and China implementing right-wing libertarian ideals. Um, wow. I, I was not aware that that had taken place in China. I, I'm not educated enough about Chile or Indonesia to know. But China is a communist country. And it has been for quite some time. So 
I'm wondering what he's talking about with regard to China there. Uh, that we've we definitely outsourced wealth creation to the world, and China uh, took that and ran with it for sure. I know what he means there. So maybe there's some stuff I need to dive into with regard to that. Uh, he goes on, I'd also distinguish capitalism from commerce as people have traded and worked together for the betterment of larger community society since humans have been a thing. Couldn't agree with that more. I distinguish this form from capitalism, which is a particular way of structuring value and power for elites, but does so with a veneer of being egalitarian. Everyone can become a millionaire except most of you. So there's another example of how he defines capitalism, which is, again, something we could debate, you know, what is capitalism for hours. Uh, he says, I'd recommend some myth-busting reading like David Graeber's Debt and the new posthumous one he called The Dawn of Everything. He strikes an anarchist balance of punching left and right without being either uh, pessimistic. Uh, in terms of punching left, I'd suggest decoupling ideologically the liberal Democrat and the leftist. He has a point there. I do lump left-wing people up into one big group. Uh, and that is fair criticism. Uh, Hillary, Biden, and that whole Dem crew are capitalists and make as much money from corporate donors as Mitch and his crew completely agree with that. They have both sold our society off to the highest bidder. Yep. Leftists that I know wouldn't be in any more support of Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson or Moderna than they would uh, beyond the idea that we should leverage the vast vestiges of usefulness of policy to force them to give these vaccines to, use, to us for the public good. We can debate if that is necessary. Uh, or a good idea. Yes, multinational pharmas are criminal in much of their dealings, as is the insurance industry, the weapons industry, hell, even fast fashion. Uh, yep, agree. The leftists I know don't have much hope in government and would never call for some communist authoritarian dictatorship, and that tactic is distracting and disingenuous to real debate. Bravo. Could not agree more with any of that. If we really want fruitful debate, we have to move away from dichotomous thinking on all levels, particularly that everyone is either left or right, but also offer critique to both in a way that doesn't demonize the regular old folks of the, at the local level while we let the bigwigs at the top sell us oversimplified narratives, despite us seeing the opposite in our daily lives that people are messy, complex, and not easily categorized as is the world in general. Boy, bravo. That is a paragraph. I love it. Uh... And then he's, he goes down and says, glad that we could chat via email. Um, tells me that I seem like a reasonable guy. Uh, he just has criticism of my show. Okay? So that happened. And then I messaged him back. I said, yep, I often make the argument on the podcast that it doesn't matter if it's a socialist communist society uh, or a laissez-faire capitalist society, the common theme is fallible human beings are in control and constantly making mistakes more often than not throughout history. And you guys have heard me say that repeatedly on the show. 
Uh, and then I say human folly is the anomaly that is always present in all civilizations. And that makes me think of the Matrix. The anomaly is choice. If you remember Neo uh, proclaiming that to the architect. If you're a Matrix head like myself. Uh, I said, I criticize the progressive left a lot for obvious reasons, and I also criticize the right for being establishment yes men and women who do not adhere to their professed principles. Um, so, then our conversation goes on, and he says, in terms of the right wing, your only criticism of the right that I have seen so far is that they don't stick to their principles, which is... That is one of the big ones, if not the biggest. There are other reasons. Uh, and I will, now that I have been criticized on such a uh, constructive level, I'm going to look into that. Uh, and that might actually be what we talk about on the show today. Uh, so then he says, uh, your only criticism of the right wing that I've seen is so far is that they don't stick to their principles. Not that their principles are inherently flawed, contradictory, or immoral versus a clear critique of the principles of the left. Um, we need to talk about what specific principles being inherently flawed, quote-unquote, uh, because... That's probably where we will differ, which is a right wing or a left wing thinker or an independent thinker. These are this is constant, the constant conflict in all of our thinking and writing and podcasting uh, is, you know, how much government control should we have in our lives in each specific area? Um, are our elected officials making the best policy decisions for the whole? that benefit everyone and not just those people at the top. And, you know, in my opinion, the difference between the left and the right is really we just put the blame on different things. The left likes to blame capitalism, uh, claiming that it, uh, in and of itself, is inherently flawed. But then there's others, like he even says this in his criticism. He says, you know, we've been trading and bartering and buying and selling goods and services throughout history. But he, you know, his definition is that that's not capitalism. Capitalism is when, you know, you know, a whole bunch of people with capital fix the game to the level to where they're just siphoning money off of the workers and going to the bank. And you can make the argument that that's what it looks like uh, is happening with all these rich, powerful assholes uh, making exponential millions upon billions uh, over the course of this pandemic. Your Jeff Bezos, your Walton family, your, you know probably Bill Gates, the people that run all the big chain stores. Uh, you know, they are. They're crushing the little guy right now. And you can make the argument, and he, he's about to make the argument that um, I completely agree with, is that, you know, fr free market, a free market and laissez-faire economics uh, isn't going to work in a society where there's so much capital at the top that the game is fixed. And I've made that claim on the show before. And I agree completely. So here we go. Let's continue. The American conservative ideology is chock full of things to criticize. 
First, that the free market would take care of all problems while totally overlooking that the elite already have an advantage in the free market and many or most of the market mechanisms are biased towards those with capital already. Amen. And he said that he's a left anarchist. This is where we're going to start to agree on our criticism of not only the left but the right. Because I agree completely with that statement. Then he says, when I bring this up with uh, conservatively minded folks, their typical response is usually akin to a middle schooler. <laughs> like, well, the only alternative is communism, so this is better. Rather than actually addressing the fact that the free market isn't possible under current capitalist conditions. Bam. Nailed it. Love that. Completely agree. Then next is the we hate big government, don't tread on me slant uh, and those school of conservatives. Yet conservatively minded folks lose their noodles if you criticize the military. Uh, then he says the U.S. government spends more on the military than any other country by a long shot, which is true. Yet somehow the bracketing of the military is not part of the government they are talking about is perceived as not inherently contradictory in any way. So let me read that one more time. He says, so minus the parentheses there, uh, next is the we hate big government don't tread on me slant. And then he says, uh, yet somehow the bracketing of the military as not part of the government they are talking about is perceived as not inherently contradictory in any way. Since the start of the Cold War, our military has been just an enforcer of American interests, which just means protecting American business profits. That is as far from the free market as you can get to force people to allow your multinational corporations uh, in at gunpoint and charge them no taxes. Same with the police. Somehow criticizing the liberal left, the progressive Democrats, etc. is okay because you can still, uh, he said, bro down with your MMA guys and your ex-military uh, or your police officers who are too wackadoodle to get in or those people that were too wackadoodle to get in either and so he obviously his criticism of military and police and fighter type dudes who typically slant right libertarian i think that's the type of uh archetype that this gentleman has the biggest problem with and hey man i get it there's a bunch of meatheads out there that are on the right especially you know christian conservatives a lot of sports guys uh, a lot of fighters, I'm sure, a lot of military, a lot of police. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with religion. But this guy is, you know, pretty much, this is where he clearly has an aversion. Is to your Joe Rogan types, uh, your, you know, who he thinks is libertarian. Although we kind of had this joking uh, aside from our conversation. Where I was like, you know, isn't Joe Rogan uh, a professed lefty? And he goes, he says later on, this gentleman that uh, is critiquing me here, that I think if you, you know, when push comes to shove, Rogan would identify with libertarian ideals. And I can't completely disagree with that. He seems to be hanging out with uh, libertarian-minded folks as of late. He's hanging out with Tim Pool and Michael Malice and, uh, you know, <laughs> Alex Jones, which uh, is, you know, that's not really strengthening the... Uh, uh, credibility of your argument 
<laughs> you know, I've talked I've talked about Alex Jones a lot. He's a, he's a crackpot, kind of a whack job, but he does get certain things right from time to time. You can't take that away from the guy. Um, so anyway, uh, that was that. And then he says to me, feel free to point me in an episode where you take conservatism to task. And I will certainly listen. And, bam, man, I mean, that uh, that's pretty good. Uh, I actually respect this guy for such thoughtful criticism. And it, it was so good, it makes me kind of go, wow, man, I need to self-reflect. Maybe I need to read these books that he suggested. Maybe I need to start taking my thought process down another route. And, you know, I, I've been exposed to new ideas. And, you know, I, don't, I really don't get cognitive dissonance that much. But when my, when my eyes and my mind are open to somebody that has an insight that I have not heard, I'm like a little child on Christmas morning that just got all his, face, uh, all his favorite presents. Because, I mean, that's what a true thinker is looking for. We're, we're searching for absolute truth. We want to know all perspectives. We want to know all uh, opinions from all angles. Why do you, did you arrive at your opinion? What uh, research and you know fact-finding have you done that supports these arguments that you are claiming? And I love it. So, to this gentleman... I told him I wasn't going to name any names on the show. But to this gentleman that sent me such a thoughtful critique, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. And I'm going to do some reading here. Um, because I love it. I want to read these books that you suggested to me. I'm looking at new angles on Marxism and the implementation of Marxism. I'm always looking on new angles for uh, a free market society. Uh, is it possible under current conditions? Probably not. I completely agree on that point with this gentleman. Uh, how are we going to topple uh, entrenched capitalist uh, old money robber baron structures uh, in order to allow for a free market system, a true laissez-faire system to come into existence? Um, that's going to require uh, anarchism, people. <laughs> And that's why I'm an ANCAP. And that's why this gentleman, I think, I assume, he self-identifies as a left anarchist because logic and rational thought and a mature outlook on the reality of the situation and the status quo that we find ourselves in here in 21st century America is... The fact that, that, you know, it's just a reality. You know, the consolidation of wealth and power and control in the hands of a very few has been aided by capitalism, for sure. It's been aided by the relationship between big business and big government. Crony capitalism, the revolving door, the big club protects their own. So, I agree. There is a siphoning... Uh, off of the bottom and a transfer of wealth and consolidation of wealth uh, heading towards the top. And you can criticize capitalism for being the main vehicle and the main cause, but uh, I respectfully disagree. I think that uh, there's 
I think that capitalism is just human nature. So it doesn't matter what kind of society and what kind of government you uh, endeavor to implement. People are always going to buy, sell, and trade goods and services. That's just how it's going to be. That's how human nature is. That's how economics, that's what it's, economics is the basis of, is human behavior and how human behavior is manipulated in order to affect market forces. Uh, the media does that. Your big tech companies do that. I mean, that's just the era we're living in, right? This is just the way it is these days. You have to know your history in order to understand the present. And that's why I always say that quote by Harry Truman, there's nothing new in this world except the history you do not know. You got to learn where we came from in order to know where we're going. And then you can decide for yourself once you start your quest. If you think that the current path that our elected officials and this government is going is the right or the wrong direction, right? So, man, I appreciate it. I appreciate that uh, constructive feedback. Um, he also recommended to me, he asked me if I read Chomsky. I told him I read all, you know, pretty much everything Chomsky's ever had. Uh, he asked me about Zizek and uh, he was talking about Hegel and uh, kind of giving me that perspective. Uh, Zizek's a uh, smart guy, kind of, kind of kooky, kind of wacky. Um, but he recommended some of his books to me. Uh, maybe I'll dive deeper on Zizek. Uh, but yeah, constructive feedback, people. Constructive criticism. It's possible to give a point of view amongst adults to give constructive feedback, to give criticism without slinging mud, without calling names, and without being a dick to people. And you know what? Maybe, maybe I, I'm going to turn over a new leaf here on the show. Maybe I'm not going to criticize the progressive left so much. Although I believe that their ideology and their worldview is radical. And I believe that is, it is a mockery of maturity and adulthood and common sense. And I believe that it is a fantasized, fictionalized view of the real world. But, like this gentleman that criticized me said, he does have a point. Not all left lefties, not all liberals, not all Democrats fall into that bucket of progressive. And, you know, this, all, this entire conversation, it, it always makes me think of, you know, you, we, even I'm guilty of it. And I'm, I'm a victim of it. We've got to get away from this dichotomous thinking, like this gentleman said. This left-right paradigm, like, it's so effective. It's so easy to fall into. It's such a binary way of organizing thoughts in your head. And that's not always the best way to operate. And that's basically what I want to point out from this uh, criticism of my show and my point of view before I move on. Is that, we, you know, he's right. This guy is right. We got to stop. All of us, even including me, every one of us, have to try to be conscious of when we are becoming a little more radical, a little more fundamentalist, a little more uh, certain. It's easy to do, right? It's easy to do. And 
in order to be a sound, rational thinker, you, you got to be cognizant of that. So that's my biggest takeaway from this gentleman. We can debate capitalism all we want. We can uh, talk about, you know, effective strategies to topple the power structures and implement something new. What are we going to implement? I don't know. Like Dave Smith says, if if you're always trying to topple a hierarchy, you, you're going to have to have you know, fight power with power. You can't topple a hierarchy without being more powerful than that hierarchy. And once, and even if you did accomplish that goal, now you just have another hierarchy in place. There's always going to be a power structure. There's always going to be a group of people in charge. And so I think this gentleman would say, and I don't want to speak for him, but, um, and I'm going to say that if we're going to make any progress in this country, people, you people on the left and you people on the right, you people in the center, you people that are smarter than all of that labels and party, uh, partisan affiliation, etc. People that can get away from, you know, hive mind and herd mentality. We all need to find a way to constructively change the status quo so that the promise of American of America can work for everyone, which is, wasn't that the point in the first place? If we really believe our principles and if we really believe in, you know, the promise of America and what the founding principles uh, guaranteed to all people, all races, colors, creeds, sexual orientations, bring me your tired, your hunger, your hungry, right? All that shit. All that rah rah sis boom ba, you know, star spangled awesome, USA, USA. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Are we gonna save this place? Are we gonna believe in those principles? Are we gonna, are we gonna, be courageous and try to work together, beat the divide and conquer agenda, come together, join forces, start uh, fixating on the real problem that we face. Know your enemy. Or are we going to continue to let the government and big business and their marriage with the big media companies, an increasingly smaller and smaller and smaller group of people are taking over this entire fucking world, people? I don't know if we could have a purely laissez-faire free market system in the United States right now. I don't think it's possible. I think that, conversely, I don't think that it's a good idea to implement a communist socialist society or government either. But, like Marx said, (laughs) Karl Marx said this himself, capitalism is nothing but a stepping stone on the way to socialism, and that's what happens. You can make the argument that that's what is happening. Whether you blame it on capitalism, whether you blame it on on human fallibility and human folly, whether you blame it on narcissism and ego and bloodthirst and ambition to be the best and to get to the top and to dominate megalomaniac demagogue psychopaths. I mean, that's the archetype of these people in control. And I've asked uh, you people in a previous podcast, I've said... Please, just consider the possibility 
that some of these rich, powerful, most powerful, most wealthy uh, government and big business and big world planner, financier, etc., 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 the council of however many hundred that own this fucking place, just consider that they might be, they might be piece of shit, disgusting, you know, reptilian, luciferian, <laughs> piece of shit human beings. It's possible, right? I don't know where the moral and the decent and the just are anymore. The 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 closer we get to this Nietzschean will to power world, like remember what St- Stefan Molyneux, when I played uh, his ideas and philosophies on a previous podcast, he said that you know if the and I hate to say this but it's partially true, so much of Western morality was based on Christianity and Christian ethics and Protestant ethics, right? Max Weber. Uh, the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism, right? Go read that book. There is a do what's best for everybody mentality in some of the founding principles of this country. And I really hope we all find a way to learn that. Alongside with learning how capitalism and Marxism and all that kind of stuff works too. You got to know what's been tried. You got to know what's been good you know what aspects of each system has been good and bad what what aspects have had positive results versus negative results you know what what policies were enacted because of quote unquote good intentions and ended up failing and then right scientific method trial and error we'll figure out what works and what doesn't and i'm not opposed to having some marriage of capitalism and socialism uh constitutional republic or a democracy, a system of checks and balances that helps us to juggle all of these concepts and ways of operating, right? That's the point. I thought that we had the system pretty much figured out. Now we just have to get human beings to operate perfectly, right? (laughs) Underneath that framework, which is impossible. And the reason why it's impossible is because the anomaly is choice. Some people are going to choose good. Some people are going to choose evil. Which wolf wins out of the two wolves that live inside of all of us? The one you feed. The one you feed. You know, I I don't care if you're a Christian person, if you're a religious person. I don't care if you're an atheist, an an agnostic, etc., 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 as soon as you start your quest and you start thinking about all this stuff and learning about new ideas and learning about history and learning, you know, seeing the common themes and common threads throughout uh, belief systems and thought processes uh, amongst multiple people, right? Once you start putting all this stuff together, you can see how kind of, it all kind of connects. The people that want what's best for everybody don't really have the skill set to go after a bloodthirsty, ruthless, tyrant dictator who's willing to kill his own people in order to continue being in power. I mean, this is the story of humanity. This This is how empires have risen and empires have fallen throughout the course of human history. There's something inside of human beings that is in conflict. And 
and all of us are going to die one day. We're also mortal. So, I don't know. You want to believe in something? You want to believe in nothing. You want to believe in positivity and honesty and goodwill towards men, brotherly love, inclusion, cooperation? Or do you want to live in slavery, subjugation, uh, bourgeoisie versus proletariat, the rich, wealthy, and everybody else, the haves and the have-nots, the people that lie and cheat and steal and kill and maim and rape and molest? What wolf wins, people? The one you feed. You have to consciously choose. You have to choose what kind of person you're going to be in this world. It's a choice between fear and love. Bill Hicks was right. So with that, uh, we are going to talk today about the conservative right-wingers, the Christian fundamentalist right-wingers. And for a lot of my listeners that self-identify as right-wing or Republican, um, this is going to be the podcast where maybe some of you pull away from me a little bit today. Because <laughs> I'm going to uh, take this constructive uh, criticism and feedback, and I'm going to punch right a little bit today. I punch left all the time was the criticism of my show, so in order to keep things fair and balanced, sometimes you gotta punch right a little bit more. So with that, here we go. All right, so I want to begin with my critique of the religious radical right uh, by playing you an intro to a new show uh, that I think's on Vice TV, and it's called While the Rest of Us Die. And their first episode is on radical religion. And it does a great job of setting up and explaining and telling the story of the history of uh, white and black relations in the South uh, during uh, the end of slavery and the beginning of the Civil Rights Movement. And um, this TV show is based on a book by a gentleman whose name is Garrett Graff, and the book is called Raven Rock. And I'm going to get into that later on, um, because this show is a series. Uh, the Radical Religion episode is just the first episode, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff uh, in this series that... It's very interesting, very compelling, uh, lots of crossover with the stuff I'm talking about here on the Politics and Punk Rock podcast, and I highly recommend all of you go check it out if you have access to Vice TV and Vice News. Um, I'm very surprised that there are channels out there like Vice that are doing stories like this. Uh, it is very telling that this stuff is making its way into the mainstream media, uh, cable channels. Um, I don't know if it's propaganda or not. I don't know where the line between propaganda and actual reporting is going on. Uh, the fact that this kind of stuff is showing up on TV is very interesting and very concerning to me. 
uh, simultaneously, but that is another conversation. So let's uh, set you guys up. This is the intro to the first episode of While the Rest of Us Die. Uh, that's the title of the series, While the Rest of Us Die. And this episode one discusses radical religion. And we're going to talk about the big tax-exempt churches that are led by um, these televangelists that are, in my opinion, they're super creepy people. Men, predominantly. There's a few women. Uh, and... My biggest problem with the religious right and with Christianity uh, is the fact that it's, it's a very similar reason to why I have a problem with the Republicans, is that you don't adhere to your professed principles, not only in politics and in government with regard to the Constitution and with regard to the founding principles, all that kind of stuff, but with the, the principles of your religion. You, you know, the, the Bible can be interpreted in many, many different ways. And people, just like every other religion, the Muslim religion, the Ju uh, Judaism, and the Jewish religion, you know, these belief systems are big, big concepts. And in the hands of certain minds, they can be very, very dangerous. And we've seen it throughout history with the cult leaders, with the televangelists and the big churches... Uh, with the tax-exempt status that they have, we're supposed to have separation of church and state, yet these these big churches are taking their tax-free money and dumping it right back into politics. It's a big club, people. <laughs> and, you know, I talk shit about the left and the progressive left and the radical left quite a bit, but boy, just because I don't talk about the radical Christian right in this country doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And that's what we're going to cover today. So here we go. Let's learn about these, uh, you know, white men radicalized to the right that exist in this society. And, all right, enough setup, here we go. A nation supposedly founded on the separation of church and state. We break and divide every demonic confederacy against the election, against America, against that who you have declared to be in the White House. It's outlined right in the Constitution. I don't care what you think about fraudulent Sleepy Joe. He's a sex-trafficking, demon-possessed mongrel. But that separation is vanishing in new and dangerous ways. We have a responsibility to preserve the foundations, and they are religion and morality, and we have to preserve them in public life. What was once a simple money grab by a few unscrupulous charlatans. Whatever you do right now, don't you stop tithing. I just need more. I just need more has become a coordinated accumulation of wealth and political power. Preachers began basing their sermons around economic and political matters. Backed by guns and ammunition. We need to stock up, team up, and train up like we've never done before. To reshape the country. God, country, constitution, second amendment, and homeschooling. I think it is fair to use the F word. Fascism. It's a radical movement that thinks the only votes that are legitimate are those that support them. While those who still believe in that separation of church and state be damned. God bless America. 
For over 70 years, our leaders have told us one thing under the bright lights. The protection of the lives and property of Americans is the responsibility of all public officials. I care. We're trying. We have it so well under control. Help is here, and we will not stop working for you. But for decades, America's shadow government and its powerful friends have spent trillions of dollars on an agenda that serves their interests, not ours. You guys paid for all this. So when the shit really hits the fan, we're on our own. This is not science fiction. This is reality in America right now. The truth is, the rich and powerful will do whatever it takes to save themselves while the rest of us die. I mean, that is a heck of a setup for a new TV show, don't you think? Um, so, wow. So that's, this show is really, really, I, I think it it covers this topic very, very well. And, you know, let, let's talk about a little bit of that. We the, Some of the founding principles of this nation was intended to be the separation of church and state. And... I would make the argument that that's not entirely a thing anymore. Because if you're going to give a church uh, tax-free status, and then the church turns around and starts dumping that money into political campaigns to support candidates that are going to go against their principles and who may be racist uh, descendants of slave owners or whatever, and who still feel that the you know race mixing of multiple different people here in this melting pot is against christianity and and against their their principles of their religion and against the constitution uh if if these people really believe that you better get back to studying you better get back to your books cuz that's not that's not how it is all men and women are supposed to be created equal, right? You, you see, do you see what I'm saying, people? It's just, you can't be, you can't stand on a pulpit and give a sermon about inclusion and love and, uh, you know, finding wisdom in the book of God and, you know, all, all that, all of the, what Christianity professes, the parables, the stories the morality, or lack thereof, <laughs> you can make the argument. You know, so it, it's it's easy for me to say to the progressive left, hey, you lefties out there, you're a bunch of hypocrites because you say that, uh, the, you know, this, that, and the other thing are good and are justified, but when the same, when you're, the other team does it, all of a sudden it's all oh, the God, you know, it's it's the worst thing that's ever happened. And... You know, oh my God, you guys can't do it, but when we do it, oh, it's totally justified, right? I, I criticize the left very often like that. But I have the same criticism of the of the religious right. I have the same criticism. You guys are hypocrites. You say one thing, and then you go do another. And it's it's the two wings. It's the two sides of the same coin. The left and the right wing of the one establishment party. And... Democrats and Republicans will easily shit on you, the American people, 
on even on their own constituents in order to defend and preserve the money and power of the establishment. And I've been trying that's the point I've been trying to get across to you since episode one of this podcast, people, is that yeah, I punched left quite a bit. I'm gonna punch right today just to be fair and balanced. But that entire conversation, in my opinion, is not the big picture. The big picture is both sides are working together in concert to pretty much, and I hate to say this, I hate to say this, but they will kill all of us. What, like the, the name of the series, the series is While the Rest of Us Die. And the whole Raven Rock book, uh, Garrett Graff's book, Raven Rock, talks about this compound, Raven Rock, uh, out on the East Coast. I can't remember where exactly it is. But it's basically this underground compound where if shit hits the fan and we, they need to evacuate the big club and the Pentagon employs the military industrial complex, etc., they're all going to the compound underground that can withstand nuclear war. You've heard about the bunkers that these millionaires are building out there? People, better wake up. <laughs> you better get smart. You better look past Christianity and religion in general. You better look past politicians, what they say versus what they do. You better look past, you know, wanting the founding principles and the free market and the Constitution to be followed, that which was the original idea. But we all know that hmm, any, any plan on paper uh, isn't that great in practice. Why? Because of human fallibility and human folly. One of my always consistent themes here on this show. So, with that being said, let's continue to talk about a little bit of the history and uh, let's learn a little bit more about uh, white nationalism and the religious right, some of which are, I hate to say it, white supremacists or the descendants of white supremacists who at one once upon a time in this country held positions of power in government. And we're working in concert to keep African Americans down. It's the facts. It's the reality. Yes, I don't talk about it maybe as much as I should on this show. But it's I kind of don't talk about it because I feel like it's a given. Who doesn't know this history? How can you call yourself an American and not be aware of where we came from? I like to believe in people and I like to think that we're past that. Maybe it's because I've had more experience uh, working with people from different races, colors, creeds, sexual orientations than the average American because of my military experience and because of working in restaurants and because of being in a band and traveling around and being an outgoing guy that meets people and loves to hear stories. We are all the same. We're all human beings. The color of your skin shouldn't matter. Your religion shouldn't matter. None of that shit should matter if you want to live in a free country. If you want to live in America, and if, if we wanted to create this utopian, perfect world on earth where everybody is included and everybody loves everybody and there's no greed and there's no evil and there's no whatever, that framework we've already come up with, people. It's the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights, which has now been usurped, gone. It does not exist anymore. I would make the argument that 
we do not live under a constitutional republic anymore. We do not live in a country that supports free markets. We live in a fascist, totalitarian dictatorship that is using both aspects of wealth creation and out-of-control crony capitalism as well as socialism and communism. The big club is making it all work for them. And the divide-and-conquer agenda, the two-party dichotomy, exists to keep us fighting with each other. Let's continue with a little bit more from this show on the radical right. You only have to open your eyes to witness how the teachings of Jesus Christ have inspired millions to help their fellow Americans both materially and spiritually. Our goal is to serve the community and we just praise the Lord for all the opportunity that he's giving us. But in this nation first founded by persecuted Christians, members of that same faith have used their beliefs to justify the persecution of others. It's right there in the founding documents of one of America's largest churches. If you go back there, defending slavery on biblical grounds, and they're calling the ownership of other human beings as part of their sacred rights and privileges, that actually provides a moral frame and actually fuels to the fire uh, that leads to the, to the secession of the southern states. The endorsement of slavery by many prominent churches helped create an enormous wealth gap. Families that owned human beings were on average 14 times richer than families that did not. The social and economic impact on the African-American descendants of slaves would continue generation after generation. But in 1954, the Supreme Court issues a ruling that many hope will begin to shrink the gap. Brown versus Board of Education begins desegregating schools across the country, opening the doors to better funded once whites only public schools to black students. In the South, the ruling is seen as a direct threat to the racist power structure. Education cannot thrive in a climate such as would result from the mixture of the races in the public schools. I have said in every county in Mississippi that no school in our state will be integrated on our new government. In response, Southern white elites band together to form what are known as white citizens councils. The mission, block any form of advancement of blacks by any means necessary. You're not, you're not a Texan if you're not for segregation. But the religion has been taken out of uh, democracy. And I say there is no democracy without religion. God made them that color, and the only time they ever mixed up is when they violated laws of God and laws of man. White citizens' councils were made up of some of the South's most prominent politicians, judges, police, and religious leaders. Some are members of the historic Southern Baptist Church, whose preachings helped justify this racist ideology in the South for more than a century. I believe that we stand on the verge of a historic moment. The most famous Southern Baptist preacher is Billy Graham. I have no power to forgive anybody. I have no power to change anybody. 
a national celebrity who fills stadiums with devotees hanging on his every word. An even larger audience watches him on TV at home. There will come a day when men's hearts are literally going to fail them because of fear. In the early 60s, another religious leader is also garnering a mass following. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. After the March on Washington in August of 1963, Billy Graham was asked to comment on the march. He said, it will only be in heaven that little black children will walk hand in hand with little white children. And so in Graham's theology, these are things that we couldn't hope for on this earth because the problem was too big to be solved. And that is the way that white evangelicals thought about social action and political action in the 1960s. They should be praying. They should not be marching. They should not be engaged in civil disobedience. All right. So there's a little bit of the history of Southern whites that uh, colluded and conspired against the black community. There were religious and government leaders. So, I mean, if that isn't fucked up, if you think that you're a moral person and you have the moral high ground in society and in culture, if you go to church every Sunday and you stand up and you you praise a man or a woman who's telling you that the only place... Uh, where white and black children will play together uh, in peace in the streets is in heaven because there's no way to achieve that goal here on earth. Isn't that what creating God's kingdom on earth is supposed to be all about? Brotherly love, inclusion. We are all created equal. You see what I'm saying? Lots of hypocrisy. Lots of hypocrisy. And, you know, Billy Graham, you know, coming up in a world at the same time as Martin Luther King. I mean, boy, that must have been a hell of a time to be alive, to hear those two guys talking to their congregations. Lots of different viewpoints, lots of different opinions and beliefs. And this goes back to my always consistent point. If you're going to live in a free society, you, you better learn how to be tolerant of those who are different from you. You better learn how to use and exercise restraint. Check your emotions. Disagree peacefully. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't know if I have a lot of faith in human beings being able to figure out how to coexist peacefully. Our history on this subject is not good. You know, it, it reminds me of what that University of uh, Texas Austin profe philosophy professor from the movie Waking Life said. You know, what? why is it that the history of hu the human race is just this endless string of zeros? No greater virtues and values have been established or achieved. You know, he said the Greeks and the Romans thousands of years ago are just as advanced and as civilized as us philosophically, spiritually, etc., right? So, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what it's going to take. Um, let's move on. 
So, yeah, so there are churches out there. I don't know if they still exist. Maybe they do. I would I would imagine they, they certainly do. But I don't have any facts or evidence. But uh, here's some facts and evidence about a church from this era. Uh, you know that where that gentleman in the clip said that some of these churches have it written right in their in their in their mission statement in their bylaws. You know we find no necessity for relinquishing any of our civil rights. We will never interfere with what is Caesar's. We will not compromise what is God's. So this is the Southern Baptist Convention bylaws. So they're basically saying that. It doesn't matter what you want or what society and government wants and or what's best for everybody. They're clearly not exercising their reason. They're saying that they have they have no reason. We find no necessity to relinquish any of our civil rights. And these are predominantly white people saying that it's their civil rights to count uh, African Americans as three fifths of a person, or whatever it was. Like, wow, the balls, the ego. We will never interfere with what is Caesar's. We will not compromise what is God's. So they're basically saying that the status quo is what it is, and that's the way it will always be. Um, blacks should never be equal to whites. And, you know, in our justification of it is our belief in our God. If that doesn't sound like radical fundamentalism, I mean, and then and then we you know we then we point the finger at the Muslims. Remember when Dave Smith criticized uh, Tulsi Gabbard? In uh, I did a whole episode on it. That, you know, you're the terrorist. One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. You know, and he says to her, you know, Tulsi, you sound like a terrorist right now. You know, we're talking about bombing women and children, and you're like. You know, is are there going to be heads rolling for this? Someone, there should at least be people losing their jobs over supporting these drone strikes in Yemen and other places, right? And Tulsi Gabbard's like, oh, but it's your uh, radical fundamentalist ideology. You're the problem, right? No, that's exactly what they're, you know, the, the Muslims that we have bombed for the past 20 years, that's what they're saying about us. That's what, you know what I mean? Like it's the same circular logic. It's like putting the shoe on the other foot and seeing through someone else's eyes. And it's the exact same thing. These are the things that we need to get a grip on. These are the things that we need to start honestly facing here in the United States of America. Is your interpretation of your religion should have absolutely nothing to do with politics, the separation of church and state. I don't think churches should be tax exempt. If every other religious group or every other business has to pay taxes, why don't churches? Very telling. You know, and this is some of the systems of control and the systematic racism, systemic racism, whatever that the progressive left likes to talk about all the time. And yes, it is there. It is a part of our history. But, you know, I would like to think that we have come a long way. And people like Condoleezza Rice and Larry Elder and other prominent African Americans have 
repeatedly said that since the civil rights movement, we have made a lot of progress in this country. I mean, a lot compared to where we once were, not even 100, 200 years ago. And to deny that we have made exponential progress is bullshit to me. It's, you're just not paying attention. You're not looking around. Yes, people are still in shitty conditions. Yes, it's probably not, you know, it, it's been a very long time since all these policies against the African-American community have been lifted, slowly but surely over time. Some of them still are not. I understand. Now, But now we live in a world where even if we wanted to fight that, now we have the Jeff Bezoses and the Walton families and all this consolidation of wealth and power in the hands of a very few that are going to always qu- squash it. They're always going to prevent it. And nowadays, I feel like we're all slaves. And now the race thing is going away because now it's a one world. Now we're moving towards one world. And everybody is going to be under the control of a very select group of people. So we can fight about slavery and racism and systematic and systemic racism and uh, lived experiences and who gets to have a say and who doesn't get to have a say and you know uh, equality of ability equal- versus equality of outcomes and leveling the playing field by making us stupider pulling the requirements out of schools so that you know affirmative action all this kind of stuff they're, they're great uh, programs by their intentions oh what a great sounds like just a great program right? But what, what are the results of that? What are the results? Milton Friedman told you, like, there, we haven't, you know, the, the minimum wage and the welfare system has kept people poor because we're not cultivating their ability to gain wealth, to own businesses, to create capital. All you're doing is telling businesses, hey, you have to do this, that, and the other thing. And that can get you to a certain place, but you're never going to ascend above that. If you really want to believe in cultivating human beings, you're going to start in the education. You're going to start at, at, at public school. And the fact that public schools are how they are speaks directly to the problem that both black people, white people, and people of all different races, colors, creeds, sexual orientations, that's the problem that we face. There are systematic um, operations going on within a lot of our institutions that are nefarious. And I don't know if they still are intended, but they definitely at one time were intended to keep the power structures and status quo in place and fuck everybody else. People, we, I don't know, like I said, I don't know what it's going to take, but we need to come together, all races, all colors, creeds, all sexual orientations. And we need to collectively, together, hand in hand, side by side, point our collective fingers at our enemy. Know your enemy. My fellow Americans, the enemy is the big 
club. I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, we are going to continue with learning about the history and the current present day situation with regard to the radical Christian right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, let's uh, continue on with uh, learning about uh, where this Christian right movement uh, went from the days of segregation and Billy Graham and Martin Luther King. Um, this uh, TV sh- series, this show goes on, not series, this TV show um, uh, continues discussing how uh, once... Um, Cable TV and uh, cable TV stations started becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the televangelists came in and uh, started creating these huge fortunes. And uh, they were able to market to such a bigger portion of society because of the new uh, TV age. Uh, So anyway, I'm uh, butchering this. Uh, I'll just let you take a listen to this. Graham's theology, these are things that we couldn't hope for on this earth because the problem was too big to be solved. And that is the way that white evangelicals thought about social action and political action in the 1960s. They should be praying. They should not be marching. They should not be engaged in civil disobedience. Don't ever say it's a white man's religion or a black man's religion. It's a world religion. The battle for civil rights, led by the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and other black ministers, is largely waged from the pulpits. But few Southern white evangelical leaders join the fight. It is very hard for people to call Billy Graham a racist. But the fact of the matter is, Billy Graham, like many white male evangelicals of his day, felt that white men should be in power before other people. When you read people like James Baldwin or Martin Luther King, they're just mystified at why white Christian churches aren't standing up on the side of civil rights. King openly calls on his white religious counterparts to act. I think the church, religious uh, organizations, have a great deal to do in this period of transition. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail is just dripping with this. He's writing that letter as he's sitting in in jail for demonstrating for civil rights to the so-called moderate leaders in Birmingham. He says, who are these white Christians sitting safely behind their anesthetizing stained glass windows? Many Southern pastors were affiliated with segregated religious schools, people like Bob Jones, and he went so far as to call segregation God's established order. Like churches and other religious organizations, these private, mostly whites-only schools were exempt from paying federal taxes. But many Americans begin to publicly question why. One of the key issues was concern that racially segregated academies, religious schools, would have their tax privileges taken away from them. 
the Internal Revenue Service proposed to make private schools prove they are not practicing racial discrimination or lose their tax-exempt status. So all these pastors, you know, they got together, they were really concerned, and they felt like they had a right to segregate people by skin color, but also to receive tax exemptions. But by the 1970s, America is becoming a more inclusive country. Overt racists find themselves shunned, their beliefs mocked by mainstream culture. I think that, I mean, if God had meant us to be together, he'd have put us together. Well, look what he'd done. He put you over in Africa, he put the rest of us in all the white countries. So in the summer of 1979, at a hotel in Lynchburg, Virginia, a group of influential religious and conservative leaders, including Jerry Falwell, Paul Weyrich, and former Nixon aide Howard Phillips, meet in secret to strategize on how white evangelicals could protect their agenda against the rising tide of inclusion. They knew the stop the tax on segregation wasn't really going to be a very appealing rallying cry for this new movement that they wanted to ignite. They sort of went down a laundry list of issues that they thought might sort of ignite a, a hyper-conservative counter-revolution. When they got to abortion, um, it was almost like a light bulb went off, and they were like, huh, that could work. This is like around six years after Roe v. Wade was passed. The majority in cases from Texas and Georgia said that the decision to end a pregnancy during the first three months belongs to the woman and her doctor, not the government. When Roe versus Wade was passed, most Protestant Republicans supported it. The Southern Baptist Convention um, had passed resolutions in 1971 and 1974 affirming liberalization of abortion law. Ronald Reagan passed the most liberal abortion law in 1967. It's like really amazing to think about that now. They used the abortion issue to sort of unite that new movement. What single issue could say more about a society's values and the degree of respect shown for human life at its most vulnerable, human life still unborn. Your membership and belonging really hinges on that issue, but it's really, um, it's a modern creation and it was created for political purposes. Under Reagan, the Republican Party, historically concerned with tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations, uses the right to life as political camouflage. And soon, the GOP solidifies the working-class white parishioners of evangelical leaders as its new loyal base. And so over time, these pro-choice voices were purged from the Republican Party. What we see today is almost a new religion, a pro-life religion. The evangelical movement's elites are now kingmakers delivering state and presidential elections to the politicians willing to protect their new religious benefactors. And just as the 60s saw church leaders playing a transformative role on both sides of the social upheavals, the so-called greed decade of the 1980s will see a new style of Christian preacher transform the relationships some Christian Americans have with their church. Blessing has landed. I'm just telling you what I believe God's told me to tell you. You know, I can talk to the boss. Evangelicals take to the airways to deliver a new gospel. I just need more. And it will deliver unto them a new kind of political strength. You can defeat me. You cannot defeat a child of God. 
So that's how it started uh, in the 80s with Reagan. Uh, the most liberal abortion law he passed and his whole idea um, was to unite people and get people that maybe weren't Christian or maybe weren't didn't believe in um, equal rights and civil rights and all that kind of stuff. You know, they used, you know, everything is used for political reasons. And when they found the abortion issue, boy, there is not a more a divisive issue in this country than abortion. And so that's how they consolidated a lot of, um, you know, church power and got a lot of people to vote for the Reagan administration. Um, Trump did a similar thing. He, you know, mobilized these white evangelicals that have all this money. And it goes right back to my consistent theme about the principles not under God's law or the law of this country are these people adhering to their principles. They're equally as terrible as the fundamentalists and the hypocrites on the left. We're all human beings, people. How, how often have I been talking in the past, I don't know, five, six episodes about how fucking stupid we all are? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some people are pieces of shit. And I've made the argument that I want you people to consider that maybe it is your your pastor or your your preacher or your um you know cardinal in the Catholic Church that they're gonna this show goes on to talk about the Catholic Church later on. I'm not gonna play it on the show. I don't wanna, you know, fair use laws and everything. So if you guys wanna go watch the end of this show, they kinda get into uh, the Catholic Church and all that kind of stuff, and how some of these cardinals were really good friends with politicians that ended up being pedophiles. Weird. <laughs> um, so, anyway. Okay, so that's the setup for where we're about to go. And this show is going to continue to talk about how, uh, with the advent of these televangelists, uh, slowly kind of changing their sermons and their their speeches uh, in a more fundamentalist direction, partially to hoodwink the people into believing that, hey, the more you give to God, the more God's going to rain riches back down on you, right? Well, I mean, what a, what a, <laughs> what a trap, what a con that is so transparent. To anyone with half a brain in their head. But you know what? I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I come from a very religious family. And I know that there are very rural people in this country that are easily swayed. E easily the, some of the most naive, gullible people. And they're, they're innocent, really. You think, I mean, maybe not all of them are innocent, but just... You know, just the taking advantage of innocent rural people that don't really know a lot about the world and don't have a lot of life experience is what a lot of these piece of shit televangelists are preying upon. Making $700 million. Kenneth Copeland's were $700 million. And Joel Osteen. I mean, you don't think that these people... Remember when uh, uh, there was all that criticism of Osteen not using his gigantic church to help the people that were displaced from the hurricanes down in Louisiana. I mean, what I mean, talk about hypocrisy. Talk about piece of shit hypocrites. 
It's just gross. These people are equally as gross as the radical progressive left. Fundamentalism, radicalization is the problem. Doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are on. Okay, so here we go. Let's continue. We've all seen the gospel as preached on television. You may gain some material things, but what if you lose with God? He controls the universe. Joel Osteen has a $10 million mansion practically across the street from his $3 million mansion. Jesse DePlantis in 2018 asked his followers to buy him a $50 million jet. You know, I've owned three different jets in my life and I and used them and just burning them up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Kenneth Copeland and his partner Gloria are worth upwards of $700 million and use their private jets to go to big game ranches and ski resorts. This is a preaching machine. Wealthy televangelists flaunting their possessions as a sign of God's bountifulness is not new. You actually have televangelists at this point who are competing with one another over who can live the most glamorous lifestyles. But these modern day ultra rich TV preachers aren't just interested in acquiring more and more money. You understand what I'm saying? Whatever you do right now, don't you stop tithing. They are also interested in the political influence that money can buy. <laughs> there has always been tithing giving money to your church or temple to help others less fortunate. But in the 1980s, as cable television delivered hundreds of channels into people's homes, it created an opportunity for a new kind of church. From coast to coast, live via satellite, it's time to praise the Lord. <laughs> it's time to praise the Lord, people. Just turn on your TV. And worship another false god and another false idol, right? Who's telling you to give you give them as much of your money as you can, so that God will rain down riches on, onto you. Probably the one of the best grifts in human history. I think George Carlin has a whole bit about uh, religion. <laughs> he always needs more money. He's all knowing, all powerful, all seeing. Just can't handle money. <laughs> but he loves you. He'll he'll rain down fire and brimstone and and he'll uh, banish you to hell until the end of time. But he loves you and he always needs money. Just can't handle money. <laughs> I'm gonna have to play that clip at the end for you. But uh, here we go. Let's continue. Uh, they're gonna start discussing this Johnson Act, the Johnson Act, which is supposed to separate. Uh, political donations from churches to the government, separation of church and state, right? Here we go. For their lucrative tax-exempt status, religious institutions are supposedly constrained by the Johnson Amendment, which prohibits nonprofit organizations from endorsing partisan political candidates. But as the wealth of these churches grew, their leaders saw the value in using some of their parishioner-supplied wealth to exercise the political power needed to protect themselves. They're not just having these sort of tax-exempt entities and lack of transparency for a means of amassing these fortunes, but also engaging in partisan politics at the same time. Prosperity Gospel is now talking about elections as a matter of demonic influence. Democrats winning as a matter of satanic influence. The sound of victory. You can hear it in the televised sermons. 
We break and divide every demonic confederacy against the election, against America, against that who you have declared to be in the White House. The media said Joe Biden's president. Ha, 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 ha. Using all the powers of that con, that money con, to now put into play as, as a power con. <laughs> But could this power of the pulpit provide religious leaders protection from even the darkest allegations? Ask the Catholic Church. You may not like who I am as much as you like who you think I am. <laughs> All right. So that voice that just said you might not like who I am as much as you like who I, you think I am. Uh, his name is Cardinal Bernard Francis Long. Uh, the Archdiocese of Boston. And uh, this show, if you want to go watch the show, uh, obviously I'm not going to play every part of this show, but uh, like I said, it does cover this topic today quite well, the radical religious right. And the, you know, the Catholic Church is, is just as much a part of the control and domination uh, as the evangelicals, and the Protestant um, denominations out there. Some are more like the Southern Baptists and are much, much, much more radical fundamentalist than some of the more um, all-inclusive, non-denominational churches that exist. Um, and uh, this show talks about pretty much all the pedophilia that's goes on, going on in the Catholic Church and how they have mobilized lots of power and money in order to cover things up and to silence reporters and to I think they made a statement that was like the Boston Globe won't be here forever but the Christian or but the Catholic Church will <laughs> so they're pretty they're pretty devoted to their uh, desires to remain the law of the land and to remain in power and some of these Catholic and Christian conservatives, really are just as fundamentalist as your fu fundamentalist Muslims uh, out there because they are, uh, you know, there, there's a group of, what's the word I want to use? There's a group of uh, white, a small group of the power elite in D.C. known as the family, uh, and the members of this group have historically been trying to merge Christianity with authoritarianism. They do not believe in the separation of church and state. It's just like the Taliban. Under the Taliban in Afghanistan, you're living under religious law. There is no egalitarianism. There is no uh, inclusion, uh, individual sovereignty. Oh, no, no, no. You're going to follow the God or you're not. Or you're not going to be a part of this society, is the mentality. So, although there are Christians and Republicans and right-wing constitutionalist thinkers in this country, not all of them fall into this white evangelical, white supremacist, uh, we need to, this country needs to be ruled under Christian uh, doctrine, uh, not everybody on the right falls into that bucket. Much like this gentleman I was telling you about that uh, crit uh, that critiqued my show said that not all lefties fall into the fundamentalist, radicalized, progressive left bucket, right? With that being said, um, 
this show goes on to talk about the nomination of um, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. And uh, there's an interesting um, thing that goes on on the Senate floor. This gentleman named uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse tried to reveal how there's like a $250 million dark money operation in order to remake the courts uh, in favor of Christian nationalism. Uh, so take a listen to this. Barrett is a devout Catholic who's taken conservative stances on abortion, gun rights, and immigration. The human rights campaign has called her a, quote, absolute threat to LGBTQ rights. October 2020. The Senate is set to debate the third Supreme Court justice President Trump will place on the court. Conservative Christian Amy Comey Barrett. Well, we're pleased today to welcome Judge Barrett. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse takes the floor to expose the dark forces he says are behind her nomination. We look forward to working with you, Republicans in the Senate. And a larger plot to undermine democracy. This is a conservative activist behind the scenes campaign to remake the nation's courts. And it's a $250 million dark money operation. The senator paints a grim picture of the state of our union arguing a shadowy group of conservatives are leveraging their wealth to take over the courts and overturn popular policies supported by the majority of Americans. They want judges to rule, to reverse Roe, to reverse the Obamacare cases, and to reverse Obergefell and take away gay marriage. That is their stated objective and plan. Why not take them at their word? Okay, so that's a pretty interesting allegation. And... Who knows if there's any truth to that, but I'm not going to say there that it's impossible and that it's not going on. You know, there's definitely, you know, within the big club, it, just like within all the secret societies and within all the fraternal organizations, there are smaller little clubs. And in religion, it's the same thing. You have your big, uh, you know, everyone believes in God, but this faction believes this part of the scripture and this other faction believes this part and there's all these little cookie cutter groups that fall under these umbrellas right so you know it's it's not logical to say that there isn't concerted efforts going on behind the scenes in order to get agendas passed into law on both sides of the aisle you have people trying to uh you know communist subversion to subvert the united states and remake it in the um, in the vein of you know Marxist Leninist uh, ideals, and you also have the same thing on the right. You have these white evangelical Christians who, uh, in the church bylaws, are saying that they're basically you know white people are the dominant race and they should be in control, and they're not going to have any race mixing. That was the mentality in the South at the end of slavery in the beginning of civil rights. These people didn't jump on board the civil rights train and try to fight for what's right. You know, Martin Luther King, they said they wrote that letter uh, while he was in jail, just pleading with the so-called moderates. Like, what is it that you guys, why aren't you joining forces? Why are we not fighting the good fight? If you're calling yourselves God-fearing people, if you're calling yourselves Christians, you know, you're a white man, I'm a black man, we both believe in God, we're both praying to the same God, how are we not on the same team? is what I assume MLK was thinking while writing that letter from his jail cell. So, I mean, it's just crazy, you know. And then another thing I wanted to point out, too, was 
Some of these big religious leaders, like that Cardinal Bernard Francis Long, apparently he was really good friends with George H.W. Bush. And there's another gentleman named Doug Coe, who, is a, who I think is one of these big white evangelical guys. Apparently he was uh, fast friends with uh, Ronald Reagan. And um, I think uh, George, a., uh, George W. as well. Uh, you heard him in that clip back there saying, once you believe in God, changes your heart, right? These, these people are such con artist swindlers, people. They will say whatever they got to say to come off like the benevolent angels that are going to organize society for us. You know, I've said it a million times on this podcast. Like, so long as the person says the right thing and they're, you know, eloquent rhetoric, they get on in front of the teleprompter and they just, they give these amazing stories about America. They're so moving and, you know, they make you feel good. And then you go, you know, the speech is over and you you walk away just like, oh, wow, like that's the way a president and a leader is supposed to sound, right? And you just, you have this inner monologue like, oh, everything's going to be fine. There's no problems. Our benevolent leader's going to take care of us, right? And then what happens? Well, I think we all know what happens. All the problems that are happening in our society is what happens when we stop using our own mind and beginning our own quest, our own search for absolute truth. And we just let this so-called group of authority figures make decisions for us better than you can make for yourself, I guess. Is that what you think, my fellow Americans? You think it's a good idea to keep electing these rich assholes who don't give a fuck about you? You really think they have your best interests in mind? How gullible and naive and fucking stupid are we, people? It's just gross. Where is our dignity? Where is our self-respect? How can we not see through this oh-so-transparent bullshit? I don't understand. Why are you lying to yourself? Stop lying to yourself. There's a better way, people. There's a better path. All right, anyway, let's move on. I'm getting redundant. Take a listen to this. While Christians make up 65% of the U.S. population, only one in four Americans identify as evangelical. That's still a massive voting block. And with 70% of those potential voters claiming to be conservative, evangelicals have often been the deciders in this country's elections. When you accept Christ as a savior, it changes your heart, it changes your life. Using their power to endorse politicians that will protect and promote a biblical worldview. Our savior died on a cross so your sins can be forgiven and he doesn't want you to be quiet about it. He wants you to share the gospel and share it with everyone. The right-wing Christian power elite and its donor base have long dreamed of seeing the government adopt its religious values as public policy. The plan to make this dream a reality first came together four decades ago. August 1980 in Dallas, Texas, the biggies of conservatism have come together to make speeches, and Ronald Reagan is appearing in front of evangelicals. This book will teach you about your economy. 
James Robeson, a famous Dallas evangelist, said to Reagan, you should say this when you get up on stage. Now, I know this is a nonpartisan gathering, and so I know that you can't endorse me, but I only brought that up because I want you to know that I endorse you and what you are doing. And the crowd went wild. So that married evangelicals to a potential presidential candidate who looked out for their interests. But getting evangelicals to vote for sympathetic candidates is only the first part of their plan to reshape America. The next speaker would reveal just how far they are willing to go. The second thing that happens that very same day is a speech by Paul Weirich. Now many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome. Good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. We don't want everyone to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. And this is something that has been part and parcel of how evangelicals think about voting, too. As long as they can get the votes out for candidates who support their issues, then voting should not be extended to people who won't vote the way that they want them to vote. The views expressed more than 40 years ago on that stage in Dallas would prove to be prophetic. Today, a new agenda is being set by an elite group of Christian power brokers that seeks to replace our secular democracy with so-called Christian nationalism, where Americans, regardless of their faith, would be governed in accordance with the Christian Bible. It's an ideology that's being pushed by a new brand of religious radicals. All right, and that new band of religious radicals, um, you know, the main power structure they call, quote-unquote, the family, this group of Washington insiders and religious leaders, uh, politicians, etc., that uh, they want a form of Christian nationalism here in the United States. Much like the Taliban wants a form of Islamic nationalism and authoritarianism in Afghanistan and other countries in the world. So you can clearly see, people, that fundamentalism and radicalism, doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, it's still possible. It's still possible to take an idea just a little too far. And the farther you take an idea and you get away from exercising your reason and making the best intentions having the best intentions of the whole of everybody in mind when you're making your decisions, especially policy decisions, you know, sooner or later you're going to become a hypocrite. People are going to eventually start calling you out on your bullshit because your words don't match your actions. And, you know, if you want to become president of the United States, you might have to say what you got to say in order to get these people to endorse you. I, like, I don't know if Ronald Reagan or if Donald Trump or if any other, you know, the Bush the Bush guys, H.W. and W. I don't know if they really are, they might profess that they're Christian, just like Obama does. You know, the only one who I actually believe is a Christian is probably Biden because he's been a lifelong Catholic. But all those other guys, eh, I don't know. I don't know if they're really 
exemplifying Christian uh, morality and the practice of Christianity in their personal lives as much as they just say that they do in order to get the votes that they need. Politicians will say anything to get elected and to get what they want. It's a big power and control game, people. And it is we the people's responsibility to be checking up on this shit, to educate ourselves, to be knowledgeable about what is going on. Who are the people that are being nominated for these key power positions? What's their history? What's our history as a nation? Do you guys remember? Here's the biggest, this is the funniest, this is probably the best one-liner quote example that kind of summarizes the irony and the just absurdity of the Christian right choosing Donald Trump as their guy. Because Donald Trump, I mean, he, he supported Hillary Clinton for years. I think he was a, a professed Democrat for years. And that's probably bullshit too. It's probably all just words. And now all of a sudden he's got you know, he harnessed the power of the white evangelicals and the, the Christian conservative right. And he even said, I don't even understand if these people, if you're a Trump voter, okay, I have a, que a question for Trump voters, okay? And maybe more specifically, the God-fearing white evangelical Trump voters, okay? I don't want to, because not all people that voted for Trump are white evangelicals. Uh, white evangelicals. So here's my question to you white evangelicals that want Christian nationalism as the rule of the land here in the United States. Here's my question. Did you ever hear when Donald Trump himself, when somebody asked him if he would ever run for office, he said, I don't think so, but if I did, I would run as a Republican. Because something to the effect of those people are too stupid. <laughs> Those people are too stupid and would be easy to harness and garner their support. That's a paraphrase. I don't think that's the verbatim quote, but that's basically the effect of what Donald Trump said. And still you people chose him as your guy. It makes my brain do flippity-flues. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Did, did you not hear? Did you not hear what he said about you? Are you paying attention? Are you naive? Gullible? Easily swayed? Easily turned? Of low moral, you know, no moral compass and low moral fiber? I mean, it's just baffling to me. It's baffling to me that adult human beings who believe this stuff so devoutly and so, you know, certainly and so absolutely that their brains are not, you know, the most closed-minded, judgmental, holier-than-thou, egomaniac people in this country. And it's just gross. There's people in my family... Like I said, I told you guys, I'm going to get real with you guys for a minute. I come from a very Christian, conservative family. And I grew up in a church 
uh, it was a Lutheran church. It was a, a Protestant church. Uh, and we were pretty, I would say that we were inclusive. We never really talked about race or uh, I never thought anyone was white supremacist in my, in my church, but you know, I, I also grew up in a very small town where there was, you know, it was predominantly white people. And I remember there being a lot of racism and a lot of, uh, um, you know, racist talk in conversation, uh, that occurred in my small neck of the woods where I grew up. And, you know, I, I, I like I said, I, I don't, I, I don't want to put everybody in the bucket of evil white supremacists. Cause I think there's a difference between believing that your race and your culture is better and should be dominant over others. There's a difference between that and just kind of being raised and growing up in a culture uh, that taught you, that racist uh, commentary and conversation uh, was okay. And, you know, snide comments and mocking and ridicule of, you know, maybe African-American people or Mexican people or whatever non-white racial group just so happened to live in this small community, right? And I have people in my own family that I wouldn't really call moral at all. And, but, and yet I've actually heard them say, I can do whatever I want in my personal life because we're all sinners. And if I continue to go to church and worship God, I'll be forgiven. They look at their belief in their participation in Christianity as a free pass to be a piece of shit human being. And it makes me sick to my stomach. There are people in my own family that I cannot associate with. And I choose not to associate with because of these reasons. Now, I could go try to like appeal to their reason and to their rational mind. I could go paint them a picture about how they're not wrong and you should be open or about how they are wrong and how they should be more open minded and how they should be more educated, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. Right. We could all do that. We could all make that effort. But I've said it before on this podcast, you're not going to change people's minds. You have to meet people where they are. People are who they are. No amount of effort to change them into something they are not is ever going to be effective. So once again, if you want to coexist peacefully in a free society, you better fucking learn how to tolerate and exercise restraint in your wanting to act negatively against people that are different than you. You're going to have to try to be a better person. You know, in politics, we often talk about who has the moral high ground. You really want to have the moral high ground. You have to be, you have to practice what you preach and you have to be accepting. You have to be cooperative, pragmatic, reasonable. And if you aren't capable of that, you know, maybe you're the people that shouldn't be voting. (laughs) Uh, Right? So, man, it's crazy. It's crazy out there. We got crazy people on the left. We got crazy people on the right. And I want to recommend a book. I was kind of thumbing through this when I was doing research for this show today. 
Uh, there's a book out there that I think is pretty good. It's got some good points. Uh, and uh, it kind of talks about other people that are in the white evangelical community that this uh, TV show uh, did not discuss. This book is called American Fascists, The Christian Right and the War on America by Chris Hedges. And he is also the author of War is a Force That Gives Us Meaning and Losing Moses on the Freeway. <laughs> I like those titles to those books as well. And then here's a, the little clip on the front of the book uh, is a quote by the LA Times. Quote, American fascists is a call to arms against what Hedges sees as the efforts of Pat Robertson and the operators of Trinity Broadcast Network, amongst others, to turn the United States into a Christian nation. Hedges reports in fascinating detail what goes on inside churches, conventions, and meeting halls of the Christian right. So I highly recommend you guys go take a peek at that book. Um, I wanted to read some excerpts from that today on the show, but I feel like I'm running a little short on time. This episode is getting a little long, so that's going to be homework for you. If you uh, found today's episode interesting and you want to explore this, uh, these topics and the history of the Christian religious right here in the United States, then go pick up that book and go check out this series, uh, While the Rest of Us Die on Vice News. Very informative stuff. And actually, I think here, let me read the back of the book just to give you a little bit more overview on this book, American Fascist. 25 years ago, when Pat Robertson and other radio and televangelists first spoke of the United States becoming a Christian nation that would build a global Christian empire, it was hard to take such hyperbolic rhetoric seriously. Today, such language no longer sounds like hyperbole, but poses instead a very real threat to our freedom and our way of life. In American Fascist's Chris Hedges, veteran journalist and author of the National Book Award finalist, War is a Force that, be, that Gives Us Meaning, challenges the Christian right's religious legitimacy and argues that at its core it is a mass movement fueled by unbridled nationalism and hatred for the open society. Hedges, who grew up in rural parishes in upstate New York, where his father was a Presbyterian pastor, attacks the movement as someone steeped in the Bible and Christian tradition. He points to the hundreds of senators and members of Congress who have earned between 80 and 100% approval ratings from the three most influential Christian right advocacy groups as one of many signs that the movement is borrowing deep is burrowing deep inside the American government to subvert it. The movement's call to dismantle the wall between church and state and the intolerance it preaches against all who do not conform to its warped vision of a Christian America are pumped into tens of millions of American homes through Christian television and radio stations, as well as reinforced through the curriculum in Christian schools. The movement's yearning for apocalyptic violence and its assault on dispassionate intellectual inquiry are laying the foundation for a new, frightening America. 
American Fascists, which includes interviews and coverage of events such as pro-life rallies and week-long classes on conversion techniques, examines the movement's origins, its driving motivations, uh, and its dark ideological underpinnings. Hedges argues that the movement currently resembles the young fascist movements in Italy and Germany in the 1920s and 30s, movements that often masked the full extent of their drive for totalitarianism and and were willing to make concessions until they achieved unrivaled power. Or were not willing to make concessions until they achieved unrivaled power. The Christian right, like these early fascist movements, does not openly call for dictatorship, nor does it use physical violence to suppress opposition. In short, the movement is not yet revolutionary. But the ideological architecture of a Christian fascism is com- is being cemented in place. The movement has roused its followers to a fever pitch of despair and fury. All it will take, Hedges writes, is one more national crisis in the order of September 11th for the Christian right to make a concerted drive to destroy American democracy. The movement awaits a crisis. At that moment, they will reveal themselves for what they truly are, the American heirs to fascism. Hedges issue... Uh, Hedges issues a potent, impassioned warning. We face an imminent threat. His book reminds us of the dangers liberal democratic societies face when they tolerate the intolerant. Hmm. There is a fine line, isn't there? You want to be a tolerant people. But at what point can you not tolerate something that is going on in your society anymore, right? And that's the problem we face, is that we have all these groups from many different backgrounds, many different belief systems, many different political parties, philosophical um, you know, sympathies or whatever, all looking at the rest of society, and instead of exercising restraint, and practicing tolerance, they're saying to themselves, we can't tolerate them anymore. The creation of an other, divide and conquer. That's what the media does. That's what the government uses to keep its power. Both Democrats and Republicans, the two establishment parties. It's a big club, my fellow Americans. And you and I are not in it. Um, so let's move on. I wanted to talk about that book, Raven Rock, which is uh, this TV show that we were just listening to clips from while the rest of us die is based on uh, this book, Raven Rock. And I want to read to you about this book, too. I think you guys should all go check this book out. And here we go. Now a six-part miniseries called While the Rest of Us Die, airing on Vice TV. The shocking truth about the government's secret plans to survive a catastrophic attack on U.S. soil. Even if the rest of us die, 
is a frightening eye-opener that spans the dawn of the nuclear age to today and contains everything one could possibly want to know. So I want you guys to start thinking about everything I just got done telling you about this fundamentalist Christian right that's planning to use a big event to implement their plan and take over the world. I make the same arguments about the progressive left looking for ways to, you know, force uh, the new Marxist revolution, right? It's fundamentalism on both sides of the aisle, okay? But I said earlier in the show today that that isn't the big picture to me. That isn't the conversation we should be having. We should be looking at the actual bigger picture. We should be joining forces and pointing our collective finger at the true enemy, the big club. And that's what this book, Raven Rock, is about. And this is why I feel like you guys should go watch this entire series, Why Why the Rest of Us Die. While the Rest of Us Die on Vice TV. Here we go. Here's a little excerpt about the book Raven Rock by the author Garrett Graff, who also wrote the book The Threat Matrix. Here we go. Every day in Washington, D.C., the blue and gold first helicopter squadron codenamed Muscle flies over the Potomac River. As obvious as the presidential motorcade, most people assume the squadron is a travel perk for VIPs. There's only, but they are only half right. While the helicopters do provide transport, the unit exists to evacuate high-ranking officials in the event of a terrorist or nuclear attack on the Capitol. In the event of an attack, select officials would be whisked by helicopters to a ring of secret bunkers around Washington, even as ordinary citizens were left to fend for themselves. In exploring the incredible lengths and depths that successive administrations have gone to in planning for the aftermath of a nuclear assault, Graf deftly weaves a tale of secrecy and paranoia with details that read like they've been ripped from the pages of a pulp spy novel. For more than 60 years, the U.S. government has been developing secret doomsday strategies to protect itself, and the multi-billion dollar continuity of government program takes numerous forms, from its potential to evacuate the Liberty Bell from Philadelphia to the plans to launch nuclear missiles from a Boeing 747 jet flying high over Nebraska, Garrett Graff sheds light on the inner workings of the 650-acre compound called Raven Rock, just miles from Camp David, as well as dozens of other bunkers the government built for its top leaders during the Cold War. From the White House lawn to the Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado to Palm Beach, Florida, and the secret plans that would have kicked in after a Cold War nuclear attack to round up foreigners and dissidents and nationalize... Industries. Equal parts of presidential, military, and cultural history, Raven Rock tracks the evolution of the government plan and the threats of global war from the dawn of the nuclear era through the war on terror. My fellow Americans, when are we going to look at each other, you lefties and you righties out there? When are we going to get smart? When are we going to wake up?
and realize that we're on the same team. We're all the proletariat, people. Our enemy is the few, the bourgeoisie. Our enemy are, is the fascist, multinational corporations, big business, big government, the marriage between the two, the Leviathan, the omnipotent overlords, these angels that we put up on a pedestal that we think are going to organize society for us and that we think and we continue to think have the best intentions of each and every one of us in mind when they make their decisions. You know what, people? My fellow Americans, I think the rest of the world is right about us when they criticize we stupid, gullible, ignorant, naive, brainwashed, manipulated Americans. I don't like that moniker. Do you? Is that how you want the rest of the world to think about us, my fellow Americans? Huh? You want to tear this place down and rebuild something in its place? Or do you want to fix what we already have? We could debate these questions until the end of time or until the end of this civilization and this empire, whichever comes first. People, let's turn up the optimism and the fun and let's play some punk rock. It is time for some punk rock, and today I'm gonna play you guys a song by my old band, Nonprofit. And the song that I chose to play for you today uh, is entitled Nonprofit. It's a uh, you know the name of the song is the same name as my old band, and I actually wrote this song about religion and about my thoughts on you know Christianity. Um, being like I talked about, being born and raised in the Christian uh, in a Protestant Lutheran church, and as I grew up and I traveled around the world and I was exposed to different cultures and different people, different from my own, uh, it changed me. And I think that any white evangelical living in rural America, if they had the opportunity to get out of this country and go see other people, other cultures around this world, you know what? Maybe their eyes would open too. And maybe they wouldn't be so exclusive and judgmental and discriminatory. Who knows, right? Maybe a lack of knowledge and just the existence of constant ignorance is... The problem for all races, colors, creeds, sexual orientations, right? So, before I play the song, I'm going to read the lyrics to you, because I think they're awesome. This song was recorded, uh, this was one of the tracks on our Catalyst EP that was released in 2000, I want to say 2007, 2010, I forget. Uh, this is the one that Ryan Green, famed punk rock producer, 
Uh, we did at his old studio, Crush Recording Studios, out in Scottsdale, Arizona. I think he has a new place now called Validus in uh, L.A. But uh, I love this track. Here we go. I'm going to read the lyrics to you. I've been living with the wisdom of this false reality. I never wanted to believe in something I could never see. And now I'm searching for the reason why, because I know who's to blame. These institutions that gave all of us a name. Is there something that you want to say? Something to make your crimes go away? Maybe tell all these people the truth. All of us yearn for something new. With every thought, word, and deed, you people tell me what I need. You speak of truth, yet you deceive with your fairy tales and make-believe. And as I hear the choir sing, I wonder how you spend the offering, the historic crutch of the naive. If you're given gifts, then who receives? Is there something that you want to say? Something to make your crimes go away? Maybe tell all these people the truth. All of us yearn for something new. I wonder whose agenda is locked inside our minds. I wonder if the answer is right before our eyes. When will this ever end? These lies are set up as the answers to our lives. Their truth is false, yet never ending. Is there something that you want to say? Something to make your crimes go away. Maybe tell all these people the truth. All of us yearn for something new. Ladies and gentlemen, this song is called Nonprofit by my old band, Nonprofit. <laughs>
I hope you liked that song. That was my old band, Nonprofit, with the song Nonprofit. And I wanted to read this meme to you really quick, speaking of the topic of religion. I found this on uh, the social medias, and I thought it pertained uh, quite well to the topic today. It takes a special kind of con artist to get rich without paying taxes by selling people an invisible product for 10% of their income that they can't see until after they die. (laughs) Don't you stop tithing whatever you do, Kenneth Copeland, the $700 million man told you earlier in the show today. (laughs) And, you know... A couple episodes ago, I was ripping on Don Lemon and his clip on CNN that he probably got fired for amongst a million other clips of his ridiculous bullshit. But he said, you know, we got to accept the fact that the biggest terror threat in this country is white men radicalized to the right. Now, do I think that that is the biggest terror threat to this country? No, I do not. But do I think that it is a threat to this country? Absolutely. Just like I think that the radical leftists are also a threat to this country. And with the advent of social media and the preying on your emotions, the mind manipulation, the, you know, radicalizing 
people, the sensationalized stories in the news media, the constant overstimulation, brainwashing you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No wonder people are going crazy and taking guns out into society and shooting people up. No wonder a bunch of these evangelical Christians that don't want uh, there to be a melting pot and they don't believe in inclusion here in this country. A bunch of them are going out into western Idaho now. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. There's this thing called the Great Reboot or uh, what's it called? Yeah, the Amer the Great American Redoubt is what it's called. There's a guy named James Wesley Rawls that apparently preaches to all these people and tells them, you know, hey, we got to homeschool our kids. We got to get off, the, live off the grid. You know, all your your Christian preppers out there. Apparently, all these people are getting uh, armed to the teeth, and they're all moving out to Western Idaho. They're gonna secede from the nation, and they're gonna create their own, you know, Chaz Chop kind of thing. <laughs> That they tried to do in Seattle, right? That the lefties tried to do in Seattle. And, you know, they're, apparently that's, you know, I mean, that's a threat to this country, I guess you could say. Some uh, some of you might think that their intentions are pure and they're trying to save, you know, the real America. But other people, I think, would disagree with that. If we're going to save this country, people, we got to stop. We got to fight the divide and conquer agenda. We got to join forces, come together, look past all this racial, religious bullshit, divide and conquer narratives that continue to be perpetuated through the mainstream media, through all these churches, through uh, social media, YouTube. I mean, you know, the five big five companies that tell us all the news and information we get to hear. People, they got us by the balls. Remember when Chomsky said, you know, the key to mind manipulation and keeping the control is to severely constrict or restrict what's allowed to be talked about, but within that spectrum, uh, <coughs> excuse me, allow for lively debate. And, you know, I think the whole QAnon thing, too, now that I'm thinking about this, I think the whole QAnon thing was part of the plan all along. The further radicalization, the Hegelian dialectic. Let's piss this group of people off. Let's pit them against this other group of people that we're going to piss off. We're going to pit them against each other. They're going to kill each other. And we, the big club, rich, most powerful 1% of the motherfuckers that run this country and this world now are going off to the bank with all of our money. You can blame it on capitalism. You can blame it on big government. I think it's a combination of the two. And I don't really care. Like I've said it before, I'll say it again. That's not the big picture, people. The big picture is we got to fight against the narratives. We got to be smarter than the propaganda. We got to look in the mirror, look deep into our hearts, find your soul, moral energy. Ask yourself, what kind of person do I want to be? How am I going to conduct myself in my public life and in my private life? Because people, we've been over it before, Big Brother is watching you, privacy's going away. And with cancel culture out there now, it's only a matter of time before people discover who you really are. And I've said it before that, you know what, that might be, there, there's positives and negatives to everything. I think one of the positive things out of the lack of privacy or the 
you know, the silver lining of the fact that privacy is going away in this new tech era is that we are going to discover who people are. You disgusting, racist, rich 1%, screwing people over con artists are going to be revealed. Everyday average Joes like me, the alternative media, real, you know, the future of real reporting and real journalism, some of us are going to start digging. And some of us are going to discover who some of you people really are. And I love it. The time has come. There is nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. I want to say that's Nietzsche. Can't remember who said that. But that's some big philosopher. I told you this stuff sticks with me. I remember this stuff. Just pops into my head sometimes. There is nothing more powerful in this world than an idea whose time has come. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Andrew for America. This has been episode 73 of the Politics and Punk Rock podcast entitled Time to Punch Right. And I told you earlier I was going to leave you with this. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the most brilliant minds in the history of Americans. (laughs) And one of the funniest Mr. George Carlin. Take us out, George. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bullshit department. In the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest. No contest. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day and the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do and if you do any of these 10 things he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time but he loves you He loves you and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all powerful, all perfect, all knowing and all wise. Somehow, just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions of dollars. They pay no taxes and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit. This has been episode 73 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I love you guys. Go to the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. Buy a t-shirt or or donate to the show. 
Send me an email, andrewforamerica1984 at gmail.com. If you're in a punk rock band and you want me to play your music on the show, send it to that email address. Start looking for me on all your favorite social media platforms. That's it. I love you guys. Thank you. Good night. We'll see you next time. This has been episode 73 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast, entitled Time to Punch Right. We'll see you next time.